Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Fate FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the program where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible, and where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I am Nick Krita. The South Australian Regional Coordinator for Faith FM. If you would like to make a comment or have your questions answered, you can text me at 0401-305077 or email me at ioncrita@yahoo.com. That's I-O-N-C-R-E-T-A at yahoo.com. Also, you can visit our website, uh, faithfm.com.au. Our theme for the week is the Bible and end-time events. And our big questions, we dealt with a couple of them. Does God care? This was a wonderful program on Monday. What are the spiritual steps to freedom? Who is the mystery man of prophecy? What is the purpose of the temple? And what is inside of the lost ark? But today we are going to look into who is the mystery man of prophecy. Our co-host today is David Butcher. David is the president of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, Church here in South Australia. And it's good to have you with us again, David. Good afternoon, Nick. It's great to be here and uh, like to say a big hi to our listeners. And David, we are going to deal with a quite interesting topic today. Um, and is the Bible a mystery? Yeah, look, really good question. Um, a lot of people consider the Bible as a mystery. Uh, and, and it is true that um, uh, this is a book that has um, caught people's imagination for millennia. And yet, um, and there is so much depth to it. It's a little bit like an onion. And, and you can keep digging deeper and deeper. However, it is simple enough that at first reading, if people read it and come to the Bible with the right approach, there is a message there for them. We've got to remember the purpose of the Bible is to reveal to us who God is. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal to us the plan of salvation. So God doesn't want that hidden. He doesn't want it to be a mystery. And so I would suggest that if we come to the scriptures, if we come to the Bible with a humble heart, seeking wisdom, then we can understand. And Psalm 119 verse 73 says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. So the psalmist is asking God for understanding so that he can know God's word and know God's will. So I believe when we come to this supernatural book, that if we come to it in a spirit of prayerfulness and a spirit of humility, then uh, we'll be given understanding. Mm. And as today we are going to look into this topic, that's what I ask, is the Bible a, a mysterious book? Because we are going to um, uh, deal with uh, who is the man, the mystery man of prophecy in the Bible. And particularly we are going to look in Daniel 9 also, yeah, what we, we are, and, and we're going to look in Daniel 9. Thank you, Nick. And, and just continuing, is the Bible a mystery? Uh, in Daniel chapter 10, we read this verse, okay, and talking about is the Bible a mystery? This is what is said to Daniel. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you sent your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. So, 
God reveals to us what we need to know at a particular time. No one understands everything in Scripture. But even Daniel, this person we'll be looking at today, there were parts of Scripture he didn't understand. But what we read there in Daniel 10 verse 12, that he had a humble heart and he set his heart before God to understand. And I believe that when we do that with humility, when we seek God in prayer, then God gives us understanding as we need it. And even in daily life, uh, David, uh, some things can look very mysterious to us if we don't put our mind to understand and to uh, look into them. And but particularly for the, from the Bible, if we are interested in searching and knowing the Bible, the promise is there. Absolutely. And I mean, I've read quite a number of books and sometimes the author is deceased and there would be questions I would love to ask that author. The beautiful thing with the Bible, it's a living book. It's the living word. It's, it's the written word and it's written by it. God is the divine author passed down through human beings, but God is the divine author and he's alive. So why not seek understanding from the author before we read it? Mm. Absolutely. And particularly today, we are going to dig into, as I said, um, Daniel chapter 9. And some of the passages in the Bible, they are not so easy, you know, to understand and to put all together, you know, in a prophetic uh, manner. But uh, we are going to uh, to look into some of the things. For example, uh, we are going to talk about uh, Jerusalem and um, when the Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and we'll find that uh, in some other parts in the Bible, mm. not only in, uh, in Daniel. And um, the year of Messiah, of Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, will, when Messiah will die, when Jesus will die, we'll, uh, we'll find that too. The purpose of uh, Messiah's death mm. and uh, the year of Messiah's death. You see, th- this important dates for us uh, if you don't look uh, specifically in the scripture you may miss out and so you have to dig you may have to dig and uh, also a cut-off date for the jews now, this is a very interesting one because uh, we are going to deal even in the next programs uh, a little bit more about uh, god's people you know the jewish nation and also what that means to be um, the seed of abraham absolutely um, and the destruction of jerusalem you know jesus himself told his disciples about the destruction of the temple in his uh, time. And the um, disciples did not understand. They didn't. But when it came to pass, they did. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, David, if we are going to start with um, with a question today, this will be the, the one which I would like to ask you first. Nick, before you ask that question, can I just um, encourage our listeners, Nick, for resources here? And um, you might be driving home from work. You might miss part of the program. But if you want a, a reading guide based on today's program or any of the programs over uh, last week and for the next three or so weeks, we would encourage you to um, email Faith FM, and it is all lowercase info at faithfm.com.au. Info at faithfm.com.au, and you can write to them, email them, and ask for a copy of the study guide that goes with today's program. Accordingly, you can go onto the website faithfm.com.au, or you can SMS zero four zero one three zero five zero seven seven. That's zero four zero one. Three zero five zero seven seven. We'd love to get to you a free reading guide. Thank you very much for that, David. That's a very good ad uh, there. And uh, the reason I, I want to start with this question: What did Jesus say was the theme 
of the Old Testament scripture because we find this in Luke chapter 24 verse 27. Would you like to share with us that? Because then we'll uh, go back a little bit and we'll we'll follow up. Uh, so Luke chapter 24 and... Yep. Uh, 24 verse 27. Yeah, and, and this is the, the real central theme of Scripture. It says there, "...and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself." And so what this is really telling us, and this is Jesus um, lifting the veil or the scales off his disciples' eyes on the evening of the resurrection. And he is really pointing to them that the, the focus of Scripture is Jesus. And, and David, there are people uh, who may not necessarily uplift the Bible and, or believe in the Bible, but they will uh, really have a high standard in regard to prophecies. Yes. Because, for example, here, uh, G. McKay Crady Price, in The Greatest of the Prophets, he wrote this, the clearest and most unequivocal of all prophecies, the most indisputable evidence of divine foreknowledge. Mm. It's about Jesus Christ. Because there are prophecies in the Bible, which yeah, you may, may be hard a little bit to understand at first look, but about Jesus, everything came in, in place exactly how the Bible predicted. And so this is one of the keys to understanding Scripture. If it is not uplifting Jesus, then um, it's we've missed the core focus. Mm. And the beautiful thing, as you've already said about um, our, our discussion tonight, is that Jesus is the center point of Bible prophecy. And it is so clear in this chapter. Um, do you know, Nick, some scholars have suggested that there are over 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament uh, pointing forward to the Messiah that would come. And they were fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. So 300 specific prophecies uh, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born before he came to this earth, pointing forward to who he was, his mission, his ministry, and all of those sorts of things. 300 specific prophecies. And they were fulfilled in his coming. Mm. And that you could say that that was a life written beforehand. Absolutely. In fact, I don't know if you've read this before, uh, but a mathematician and astronomer, Peter Stoner, uh, he wrote a book in 1963 called Science Speaks. And he, he said this, he calculated the chances of fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. So eight of the 300, the chance of fulfilling eight is one in 100,000 million million. Mm. That's a big number, right? The chances of fulfilling nearly 50 of those messianic prophecies, and we said there's about 300, the chance of fulfilling 50 of them would be one in one followed by 157 zeros. Wow, that's staggering. So, so this is a supernatural book with Jesus at the center, uh, prophecies written hundreds and hundreds, and tonight we'll be looking at prophecy that was written at least 500 years before uh, its fulfillment. Mm, mm. And it came to fulfillment exactly. And very accurate, talking about the place of birth of Jesus Christ, uh, the manner of his birth, his betrayal, uh, the manner of his death. Yes. You know, very, very accurate. We are going to put together this puzzle tonight, David. You mentioned about uh, over uh, 300 prophecies uh, refer to Messiah and um, they will come to fulfillment. Now, how do we know Jesus was 
a historical character. Yeah, look, I'll be careful how I respond to this. Um, there are people that doubt the scriptures and they say they're fables or it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a book of tales. Mm. And fair enough, that's what they hold to. I disagree with them wholeheartedly, but that's someone's right or their opinion. However, anyone that, um, that is able to think and process and able to do research, even on the internet, can have substantiated very easily that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical figure. Mm. So no serious historian disputes that Jesus existed. Now, they will dispute. They'll say he was a, a good moral teacher and he did many good things. Um, th- they'll acknowledge that. But um, they will differ in saying, well, he wasn't supernatural, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But there is no question that Jesus was a historical figure. In fact, many, many historians that lived around the time of Jesus or just after Jesus that have made reference to him in writings outside of the scriptures. In fact, there are at least 17 non-Christian sources that mention Jesus within 150 years of his life. Can we mention some of those names? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, perhaps one of the most famous ones or the most well-known ones was a Jewish historian that later began to take up history for the Romans, and his name was Josephus. And he was born in about A.D. 37. Now, Jesus died in in about A.D. 31. And um, this is what he had written in one of his writings. He said, now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, he was the Christ. And when Pilate, the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. These and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. So that was in his book called Antiquities. Just one other uh, famous historian, and as I say, there's at least 17 Mm. non-Christian writers outside of Scripture that make reference to Jesus. One is a Roman historian. Um, and his name was Tacitus, and um, he lived around the uh, time A.D. 37. And this is what he wrote. To suppress the rumor, and Emperor Nero falsely charged the guild and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. And that's in his famous uh, history um, uh, writings called the Annals, and Mm. it was book 15. So there is no question in any thinking person, rational person, that Jesus was a historical figure. Mm. And even another one, uh, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, but uh, uh, Suetonius or yeah, something. Suetonius. He also lived uh, in around that period of time. And uh, he says this, as the Jews were making constant disturbance at the instigation of Christus, he expelled them from Rome. You see, that's uh, mm. again uh, noted in the history um, by this man, which they didn't have to do anything with Jesus necessarily as the Messiah or uh, as the Son of God, but they pointed out in history that he historical figure, historical figure. Right. Let's come to another question, David. Um, in uh, what city did the prophetic scriptures predict that Jesus would be born? 
So hundreds of years, um, there's about 400 years between the, the, um, the last of the Old Testament books being written and the first book of the New Testament. That's the book of Matthew. And those 400 odd years are called the intertestamental period. Well, one of those um, last books in the Old Testament is the book of Micah. And so we're talking 400 plus years before the birth of Jesus. This is what Micah, a, an Old Testament prophet, wrote. He said, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So it's interesting. Um, the biblical writer Micah tells us that um, one whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting, in other words, no beginning. Mm -hmm. So this is referring to Jesus, who is God. It says that he will come from Bethlehem Ephratah. Now, there were two Bethlehems, and Micah wants to ensure that his readers will know for certain which Bethlehem this is referring to. One in Judea, which is where Jesus was born, uh, and the other one was up north in Palestine. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem Ephratah there in Judea. So it's very specific. Absolutely. No question marks there. No question marks. And when we come to the book of Matthew, we discover very easily that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And do we have also evidence uh, to tell us, um, was there a specific time when Jesus would appear and died for his people? And we're going to find that out as we head into into Daniel chapter 9. Absolutely. And But in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, uh, there is a passage there which says, but uh, when the fullness of the time has come, God sent his son. I believe that's uh, very, very important too. This is really important. And thank you, Nick, for, for um, bringing that text to light. Because I don't know about you, but when I've traveled and I've done a bit of traveling, and I know you have as well, you go to an airport and everything revolves around time. You know, everything. It's critical. And here through Scripture we find time as being important to the central mission of Jesus. And what you've read, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. It's interesting that elsewhere through the Gospels, uh, Jesus will often say, my time has not yet come. Jesus understood the scriptures, and they were the Old Testament. He, there was no New Testament written when Jesus existed. And so Jesus studied. He was a, a Bible student and a student of Bible prophecy. Mm -hmm. And Jesus knew that he would be fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. He knew the prophecy of Daniel 9 that we'll be looking at called the 70-week prophecy. And that is a specific prophecy that, as you've already said, uh, notes when Jesus would be baptized and notes when he would die. And so... Throughout the Gospels, Jesus, in one sense, is trying to suppress um, who he is because he doesn't want to create uproar and minimize what he's able to do. He doesn't want to be able to stop his ministry. Mm -hmm. Wherever he went, people followed, and they were always pressing about him. But uh, often he would say, in, in, for instance, in John chapter 2, the turning of water into wine, his first recorded miracle, um, he says to his mother, uh, Mary, he says, my time has not yet come. And he says that multiple times throughout the scriptures. And what you've just read says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Mm. And you just mentioned about uh, Daniel 9. Uh, David, let's look into this uh, prophecy a little bit um, in our program. Uh, 
can you take us through a little bit this uh, this prophecy in um, chapter nine? Yeah, look, this is a this is a pretty amazing prophecy, and I think Nick, you may have mentioned it, but this particular prophecy in Daniel chapter nine will reveal to us. Um, this is written five hundred plus years before Jesus would come, and we need to know that. Um, 605, 586 BC, three different um, raids were made on Jerusalem by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. And the city and the temple were destroyed. Daniel was a young Jewish uh, man, a teenager, probably late teenager, and he was taken captive. The brightest and the best were taken from Jerusalem captive all the way across to Babylon, what we would call modern-day Iraq, mm. by King Nebuchadnezzar. And um, so this prophecy we're going to look at will cover uh, when Jerusalem would be rebuilt because it had been destroyed. It would predict the year for the Messiah. Uh, it would predict when the Messiah would die, the purpose of his death, the year of his death. Now, imagine that 500, 600 years prior, it would be able to predict the year of Jesus' death, a cut-off date, as you've said, for the Jewish nation, and in fact, even the destruction of Jerusalem itself. Mm. And in uh, chapter 9.24, if we look at that, this passage, we are going to also identify a period of time allocated to the Jewish nation, which Daniel was very interested in this because he was um, in Babylon, was a captive. He knows now that the, the Jerusalem... Um, has been destroyed, but the promise is there that there will be a decree. There will be, a, you know, somebody will... Uh, would rebuild it. In fact, um, one of Daniel's older contemporaries, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, um, he wrote in Jeremiah chapter 25, and also I believe it's in chapter 29 as well, Jeremiah 25, verse 11 and 12, it says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Mm -hmm. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. So God had predicted through Daniel's contemporary prophet, Jeremiah, that they would be in captivity for 70 years. Uh, but then um, there would be a time of deliverance. So in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is given a vision, and it's a vision of uh, the various empires that would um, suppress God's people, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. Mm -hmm. And... It's a period, a vision that spans um, thousands of years. And in total, at the end of chapter 8, Daniel sees some pretty horrible things in that vision. God's people being destroyed, um, God's name being thrown down and cast down, uh, the sanctuary, etc., the worship place of God. A and so Daniel is perplexed at the end of chapter 8. At the beginning of chapter 9, he has been studying the writings of Jeremiah. This is what it tells us in those first four verses. He's been studying the writings of Jeremiah the prophet in Scripture. And he realizes that that time of um, captivity is almost up. And so chapter 9, the first part, is a prayer, um, um, intercessory prayer for Daniel's sins and the sins of his people. He's worried, perhaps, or he's wanting that time to come to an end because he wants to be delivered, his people to be delivered. Mm. And he's interceding to God, asking God to forgive them so that that can be fulfilled. Yep. While he's in prayer... 
And this is powerful. While he's in prayer, the angel Gabriel is sent by God. And Gabriel arrives while Daniel's still praying. Now, we don't know where he came from, whether it's from heaven or somewhere else. But God answers his prayer during his prayer. Gabriel comes and Gabriel gives him understanding and Gabriel gives him this prophecy. Now, this is an incredible, significant prophecy, Nick, because it's given by Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Now, there are not too many angels that are mentioned in Scripture. We know Lucifer was an angel and is an angel. He's a, a demon. He turned away from God. He's named... Lucifer. Gabriel is also named. And Gabriel only appears four times in Scripture. Twice in the book of Daniel and twice in the New Testament. Once with the birth of John the Baptist and once for the birth of Jesus. All at key significant events. So what we're about to read is absolutely critical. Critical prophecy. Mm. Giving Daniel understanding. Mm. Now looking at the, uh, that uh Verse 24 from uh, Daniel 9, it says that 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to annoy the most holy. Now, we are going to look at a few facts here uh, tonight, uh, uh, David. The first fact, the Messiah, the Jewish were given 70 weeks, which we understand that in a day-year prophetic language means 490 years. Uh, They were given this period to repent. The question is, in prophetic symbolism, what does a day represent? Let's look at this in Ezekiel, not just to talk from ourselves, in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6. Yeah, absolutely. So in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, it says, I have laid on you a day for each year. So Ezekiel had to lay, if you look up chapter 4 in Ezekiel, he had to lay on uh, his left side for so many days, which represented so many years of iniquity of God's people. And then he had to turn on his other side uh, to for so many days, which represented, again, how many years. So one day in Bible prophecy, um, uh, one day represents an actual year. Mm. So God says, I've laid on you a day for each year. So when we're looking at Bible prophecy and we read that 70 weeks are given, what we're really talking about is 70 times 7 is 490 days, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you look at this prophecy, uh, it included the rebuilding and the restoring of Jerusalem. 490 days is a little over one year. Mm -hmm. There is no way that you could have built, rebuilt Jerusalem in a year, plus the other things that this passage talks about, this Mm -hmm. prophecy talks about. Um, So when we talk about Bible prophecy and we read about 1260 days or or, um, 490 days or those sorts of things or 70 weeks, we're talking about one day representing a year. Mm-hmm. And even in different translations of the Bible, you know, for example, in the uh, Revised Standard Version, it says that 70 weeks of years are decreed. Or in the, the Good News, it says 70 times 7 mm. years. It, it gives that reference that uh, people understood that in prophecy, uh, they, it's a equivalent with the a year in the prophetic language. So what we're saying is this is a prophetic key. In Bible prophecy, one prophetic day... So we've got 490 days here, uh, 70 weeks times 7. One prophetic day equals one literal year. Mm, mm. All right. What so, the, so they're given 490 years. Yes, to repent. Um, what was the starting point for this time 
period for the Jews? Because this is very crucial now. Uh, if we want to apply this uh, rule of uh, one day for one year, do we find in the Bible where that starting point is? Yeah, and this is critical, as you say. Daniel 9.25 tells us, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So what we have here, it says there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So Daniel 9.25, it says, From the going forth of the command... Uh, to restore and build Jerusalem. So this is the starting point. So Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. We need to look in Scripture for a command that is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, we know that if we go to the book of Ezra, there are three decrees given by three separate kings. The last of those decrees was given by Artaxerxes I. And in Ezra chapter 7... Uh, we are told that it was in Artaxerxes' seventh year of his reign that he gave this decree. And we know um, via various means that Artaxerxes' seventh year of his reign was in 457 BC. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we know that, you might ask? Um, there's an interesting um, character in history that I'm sure everyone has heard of. His name is Sir Isaac Newton. Now, Sir Isaac Newton, he was the first person, and he lived hundreds of years ago, 1642 to 1727. He invented calculus. He was an incredible man, a scientist and astronomer. He also was the first man that formulated the theory of universal gravity. He also made discoveries in optics. But what people may not know, he was a Bible student, a theologian, and he wrote a book called The Observations Upon the Prophecies of the Bible. And he said this about this particular um, uh, passage, this particular starting date for this prophecy. He said, The years of Artaxerxes' reign are among the most easily established dates of history. The canon of Ptolemy, the Greek Olympiads, and allusions in Greek history to Persian affairs all combined... Uh, all combined to place the seventh year of Artaxerxes at 457 BC. So just on that, um, the dating of the seventh year of Artaxerxes is confirmed by the Olympiad dates. And the Olympiad dates traced the reigning kings back through the Olympiad dates. The Ptolemy's Canon, it was a record of eclipses which go back to 747 BC. And when there was an eclipse, they recorded the reign of each of the kings. Also, through Babylonian cuneiform tablets, which list the dates of kings who ruled in the area from 626 BC all the way to 75 AD. So looking at these various historical records outside of Scripture, we can determine that the seventh year of Artaxerxes' reign which is what Ezra chapter 7 tells us, was in 457 BC. All right, and this is uh, another fact which we are um, considering uh, on this program. Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and the starting date for this prophecy is uh, 457. Okay, and excellent. So we know that this prophecy is a 490-year length period, 490 years from 457 BC going forward. All right. In this prophecy also, we have another question to consider, David. What would happen at the end of the first 69 weeks? 
Okay, so at the end of the first 69 weeks, let's look that up in Scripture, and we should find that in um, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. And I'll read that again. Actually, it's in verse 26. It says, And after the 62 weeks... So there is nine weeks and there are 62 weeks. Mm -hmm. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off and And not for himself. But that's interesting because when you talk about from those 70 weeks, here now we have 69 weeks and it's one week uh, left there from the 70 weeks. And it's something interesting happening this uh, uh, last week. So from 457 BC, we go forward 69 weeks, which is 483 literal years, Mm -hmm. 483 years, and it takes us through to AD 27. Which uh, Messiah, uh, we know what happened to him. He was anointed. I mean, Jesus in the year 27, he was anointed. Uh, Jesus was a tradesman until uh, that period of time, working each day as a carpenter. But in the 27 AD, his life completely changed. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and anointed by the Holy Spirit. We read this in Acts also, chapter 10, 37, 38. He left his job as a tradesman and right on time began his public ministry as the Messiah. Wonderful. It's powerful. So Daniel 9.25 says, until Messiah the Prince. Now, the word Messiah, um, the Hebrew word is Meshiach. It means anointed one. Mm. It's interesting that the word Christ, which is Greek, also means the anointed one. Mm. And when or what was anointed? When we go to um, Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, this is what we read. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God, listen to this, Nick, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So in these two verses, Acts 10, 37 and 38, it tells us that at Jesus' baptism, he was anointed by God through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus became the Messiah. As you've said, he was a tradesman for those first decades of his life. When he's baptized, his public ministry begins and he's anointed as the Messiah. Mm. And even in Luke chapter 3 verse uh, 1 and verse 21, we read now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. You see another um, very good uh, pinpoint here. Time Uh, period. Yeah, time in the time of Tiberius uh, Caesar, the the 15th year of uh, his uh, reign. And we can look at this again how uh, that fit in the 70-week prophecy. So in 27 AD, 483 years now into this 490-year prophecy, 69 prophetic weeks, 483 literal years, the Messiah, the Prince, comes. And he's the Messiah because he's been anointed. That's what it means. He was anointed at his baptism, 27 AD. Yeah, right on time. You know, another another fact here. And, And let's not gloss over that. This is just amazing. More than 500 years previously in Scripture, it was predicted that Messiah the Prince would come. And it came to pass exactly to the year. Mm. And David, what was the first thing Jesus said 
following his baptism? Because I think this is very important also to hear from from his his mouth. It, it is. Now, remember I said before that throughout the Gospels, Jesus says numerous times, my time has not yet come. Mm-hmm. He was a student of Bible prophecy. He knew the timing. But here in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, he says the time is fulfilled. So he's been baptized. He begins his public ministry telling people to repent and all those sorts of things. And he says the time is fulfilled. Mm. David, I think it's time to take a short break here. And I'd like to play a song called I Want to Be Like My Lord. We are going to identify now who's this mysterious man of prophecy. Let's listen to this and we'll be back in a moment. There was a man, they called him Jesus, walked the shores of Galilee, healed the sick and calmed the waters, made the blind eye to see, raised the dead and cleansed the leper, had the power to set men free, but best of all, he went to Calvary, bled and died. That I could have been with him when he stepped out on the sea and heard him say to Simon Peter, Come, my son, and follow me. We'll see the dawn will break around us, and his face we shall behold. Oh, what a time we'll have together.
A beautiful song. Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Nick Rita and our co-host today is David Butcher. Our question for today is who is the mystery man of prophecy? And we are establishing now, David, that uh, Jesus is that man and the prophecy is pointing precisely to some of the facts uh, in uh, in his life. Now, we just talked about that uh, Jesus was recognized when he became um, the Messiah right on time at his baptism. Now, what was the uh, what was predicted to happen to the Messiah? So we've got nine weeks and then 62 weeks. Mm. And at the, at the end of the 69 weeks, there's one more week left, seven years. Um, this is what happens. It says, and after the 62 weeks, and the nine weeks have gone before that, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Mm-hmm. So this is predicting that Jesus would die. He would be cut off. He would be killed. He would be a sacrifice. All right. And the next fact is uh, Messiah will be killed. And uh, what would the Messiah do in the middle of the last week? Of this prophecy. Verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9 says, But in the middle of the week, now this is the 70th week, that Mm -hmm. last week, that last seven year period, in the middle of the week, so we're saying three and a half years into that last seven years, in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So, Jesus, how did he he bring an end to sacrifice and offering? By his own sacrifice. Correct. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. And all of the sacrifices that happened for thousands of years for God's people, uh, when they sinned, uh, there was a substitute. They had to bring something to take their place because the wages of sin is death. So they brought an innocent, often a lamb that hadn't sinned. It was a substitute for the sinner and it was sacrificed. It was all pointing forward to the Messiah that would come, Jesus Christ, right on time, and he would become our sin offering. He would become our sacrificial lamb for us, a perfect, unblemished person, Jesus Christ, God, the God-man. He died for us. He became our sacrifice. So in the middle of the week, um, baptized, became the Messiah, 27 AD, 31 AD, he becomes the sacrifice mm-hmm. for our sins. And even in the Babylonian Sanhedrin, we we read here that uh, on that eve of Passover, that afternoon, they hang Yehu of Nazareth, but they found not nothing in his defense, and hanged him on the eve of Passover. You see, even people who were not, you know, from the from Israel, God's people. Absolutely. So not only does Jesus come fulfilling prophecy, um, you know, 27 AD, uh, baptism, 31 AD, he becomes a sacrifice. But what's the timing? The timing is Passover. Mm-hmm. There was a lamb that had to be killed without its bones broken and its blood painted on the doorposts as they exited Egypt when they fled Egypt would cover them and mm. protect them. Jesus died at Passover. Not only the right year, but he died at Passover and at the time of the evening sacrifice. That's amazing. And in Mark, if we look in Mark 15, verse 38, um, it says that, uh, And the veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Another miracle happened there. What? What, why was significant there, David? So there was two rooms in, in the sanctuary or the temple. Uh, one, the priests would go in every day. The other one, only once a year. And in that inner room called the Most Holy Place was the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's present dwelt. 
his presence. And so when Jesus died on the cross, there is an earthquake and this very thick veil, which some people suggest historians was a couple of inches thick, very high up, it ripped from top to bottom. It was a divine act that no longer is there a separating wall. Jesus has uh, been the sacrifice. No longer does there need to be animal sacrifices because the ultimate sacrifices come in Jesus Christ. And he's the high priest also because, you know, uh, the high priest used to go once a year in that uh, most holy place. But now Jesus, with his blood, once and for all, he entered uh, Not only is the Passover lamb, but as you say, he's yeah, our high priest. Yeah. Now, Jesus was baptized for you and for me right on time. Jesus began his ministry for you and for me right on time. Jesus died, was cut off for you and me right on time. Right on time. Jesus became your high priest on time. We don't need to go to another priest to confess our sins. We can go straight to Jesus. You, Jesus, the Bible says, is our mediator. We don't have to go to an earthly person. We go to Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus will return for his people on right on time. time. I uh, believe that's God. very, uh, very amazing. Will you accept him fully as your Lord and Savior in time? Because see, this is our time of probation, if you like. Let's look at another, just the Messiah, um, fact seven. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died in the year 30, uh, 31. Now, to whom did Jesus tell his disciples to first preach? So in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, he says, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a, a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is saying, go into your own backyard first. He's not being racist. He's mm -hmm. saying, go to your own people. Go to the Jewish people first. Don't forget your own people. Instead, going out to the rest of the other countries, go to your own people first. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them after, just before he ascends, he says, Wait for the Holy Spirit who will descend upon you, will give you power. Uh, then you are to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea. Then he says Samaria, then the ends of the earth. And what we're going to discover is that's exactly what happened. Mm, absolutely. When we're living in that time, when we play a part also in this uh, great commission. Um, all right, even after his death, Jesus told his disciples then to begin his ministry there in Jerusalem. And it's interesting for us if we want to make an application here. Mm. We may not uh, have opportunity to go who knows where, you know, to preach the good news, the gospel, but we can be a witness, a living ministry, if you like, right where we are. Yeah, in time and space. Absolutely. And one of the key reasons, Nick, why, why Jesus told his disciples to start in Jerusalem was because we've got to remember this 70-week, 490-year prophecy was giving a, an end point for the Jewish people as a nation. Now, let's get that right. Not just as, in, not as individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, any Jewish person, any Calathumpian or any person from any country or background or race, uh, Jesus died for them all. But as, as chosen special nation, they had rejected him and there was an end point to their being his special people as a nation. And there is a passage in the Bible in Matthew 21, uh, verse 43 which says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. That's amazing. 
So he's giving the Jewish and nation, remember nation, not the people, mm-hmm. but the nation, he's giving them that 490 years because they deserted him continually. Yep. And now he's telling them well in advance, you've got this time period as a people, as a nation to come back to me, mm. repent. And Jesus loved the, the people of Jerusalem. He wept over the city. Obviously, he was not uh, turning his back towards them, but actually it was their own actions. Uh, you know, rejecting uh, rejected Jesus. rejected him. Yes. When did the gospel really be, uh, begin to go to the Gentiles, David? So after Jesus goes to heaven, um, it, we read in Acts chapter 8 of the murder of Stephen, a deacon, a godly man, the first murder of, of, that we find in the Christian church. And it says in Acts 8, 2 to 4, it says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Therefore, those who were, who were scattered, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So Stephen was a godly, devout man. He was murdered by the Jewish people. He was stoned to death. And at that point, persecution broke out. And, uh, these Jewish Christians, the followers of Jesus were spread throughout the world. Uh, and in Acts chapter 8, we find that the next deacon, uh, Philip, goes where? He goes to Samaria. Mm-hmm. A- and um, that's where you've got the story of this Ethiopian accountant, tax collector, the eunuch, that he baptizes. Um, but he goes to Samaria first. Now, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, go to Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, mm-hmm. then the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what his people did. So the time period for God's people, the Jewish nation as a nation, had an end point, and that was at Stephen's death, murdered by the Jewish nation, the Jewish leadership, and that happened in AD 34, which is the end of that 70th week, the end of that last seven-year period. Yeah, I was just going to say that we are now dealing here with the second part of that last week. Right. Well, uh, time is going so fast, David, uh, today, and uh, we have a few more things to say here, but... um, uh, let's look in Acts just for a reference here. Acts 22, uh, verse 21. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you uh, far from here to the Gentiles. Now, uh, Jesus is speaking now to Paul, mm. the one who was persecuting uh, his people. And um, now he uh, meets Jesus here and Jesus uh, after his conversion Jesus sent him to the Gentiles Um, David what would happen to Jerusalem after the death of the Messiah so uh, this um, is well after AD 34 but it was a significant event that God wanted the people to know about and this is what we read um, in Daniel 9.26 And after the 62 weeks Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come this is the Roman general Titus the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and we know that um, General Titus who later became a Roman emperor in AD 70 not only destroyed Jerusalem but also the Jerusalem temple Mm. And so uh, here we have God predicting that after the Jewish nation had rejected Jesus, their own city and temple would be destroyed by the Romans. And uh, if we look in um, in Luke chapter 19, uh, it says here that um, the city will be destroyed and they will not leave one stone upon each other. You know, again, that prophecy very well uh, fulfilled. Uh, according to the scriptures, David, 
who are God's chosen people? Because we're talking about Israel, you know, being rejected at this point. That's right, as a nation. And so the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew... Uh, learned under the feet of Gamaliel, uh, a famous Jewish rabbi. This is what Paul wrote in Galatians 3. He said, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if we give our life to Jesus, then we are part of that special nation. Uh, we're all part of, of God's people. Mm. We are part of, uh, of Israel, spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel. Absolutely. That's very, very good to know. David, we need to wrap it up here. Let's look at just a few facts here. We just um, mentioned a bit earlier. Uh, Jesus, it, it was given 70 weeks for Israel to repent uh, and to come to their senses, if you like. Then Jerusalem will be rebuilt. And uh, we have a date there in uh, 457. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, come right on time in uh, 27 A.D., and uh, Jesus recognized the time when he became the Messiah. And you mentioned about uh, this uh, scientist also who, uh, mm. who mentioned about these dates. Now, the evidence is there. You cannot simply turn your back on it. Uh, you know, we need to really uh, consider this information from the Bible. There are a few points here to consider. But before that, before we do that, I'd just like to um, place another ad, David. I mentioned for the last few days, and particularly for this week, we have an amazing book to give, an offer, a free offer. It's called The Great Controversy. And uh, if you like to put your hands on that book, please don't hesitate to ring us, to give us a call, uh, go on our website and uh, get this book. Just listen to this ad, please. When your life gets harder and the world gets worse, Jesus has the answers. Do you need the hope that Jesus will bring into your heart? What about your friends, family or workmates? Faith FM's free offer for you today is a life-changing book called The Great Controversy, filled with stories of hope and encouragement that are guaranteed to draw you closer to Jesus. To receive your free copy of The Great Controversy, go to faithfm.com.au or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. So, Nick, just wrapping this up very quickly, because we're talking about time and time's against us. Three points that we need to know. Jesus Christ is the theme of the entire scriptures. Point number two, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, not only for the Jews, but also for the whole of humanity. And lastly, if you've accepted Jesus, then you belong to God's true people, or we would call it spiritual Israel. Um, so if you have accepted Christ, you belong to spiritual Israel. And I guess, Nick, we've talked about this prophecy. Jesus is at the center. It talks about his baptism. It talks about his, his death and his sacrifice. And so I want to just challenge our listeners that the sacrifice of Jesus was for you and for me. And if you haven't accepted his sacrifice, then why put it off? I would invite you to accept Jesus' death for you today. Commit your life to him as your Messiah, as your Savior, and as your friend. So, friend, if you're listening, please give your heart to Jesus. He's died for you. He's alive forevermore. And if you want a copy of the reading guide that we've been talking about today, uh, email info at faithfm.com.au or the website faithfm.com.au. David, would you like to say a short prayer, please? 
Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that Jesus is the central point and focus of Scripture. We thank you for the validity of Scripture, that we can trust in the prophecies that were predicted hundreds of years before that came to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there is someone out there listening that is uncertain about their future, may they give you their heart. May they say, Lord, please come into my heart. Take control. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. We are leaving you with a song uh, tonight. Yes, he is. Did you know that God loves you? Yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Did you know that God loves you? Yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. He would give his life for you, and he did. Oh, yes, he See you.